We're grateful to have you as a listener, and we want to learn more about your listening habits and how we can serve you better. We have a survey running right now and would love to hear from you. It shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. When you're done, you can enter a sweepstakes to win a $100 gift card. We really appreciate your help. Thanks so much. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David J. Lynch, Global Economics Correspondent here at The Post. And today I'm joined by Loretta Mester, President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, for a discussion about inflation and the state of the U.S. economy. President Mester, welcome. Hey, thank you. Great to be with you. Now, first things first, do you mind if I call you Loretta? I would love that. I think that's very good. And I'll call you David. Fair enough. I've been called worse. <laughs> so so I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to start with a question uh, about an issue that's gotten a lot of public attention recently, and, and it's, it boils down to whether the U.S. is or is not in a recession. And on the one hand, we've learned recently that the economy has now been shrinking for two consecutive quarters which meets one conventional test of recession. On the other hand, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says he doesn't think we're in a recession. And the quasi-official body that will ultimately make the call on this, the National Bureau of Economic Research, will look at several data points, not just output or GDP. So I'm curious, where do you come down? Are we in a recession or are we not? And how much of a difference does it make to Fed policymaking? So I don't believe we're in a recession. I think the MBER looks at a number of criteria, as you mentioned. Um, certainly activity has slowed, and you're right. The GDP report showed um, negative growth for two quarters in a row, but you have to actually look at the composition of that growth um, to discern what parts of the economy are slowing. We don't have a slowdown in labor markets, and that's you know two key factors that go into calling a recession. Usually, when a recession is in place, you will see the labor market deteriorate pretty rapidly. And certainly right now, the labor market is very healthy. Um, and you know we haven't seen that kind of broad-based pullback in activity across sectors. And that's also something that's important when you think about a recession. But you asked a good question is, how much does it matter for where Fed policy is right now? And in some sense, you know, our policy has been to raise interest rates in order to cool down the demand side of the economy. And so seeing some pullback in activity is actually what we wanted to see in terms of getting excess demand better into alignment with that supply side of the economy, which as you know, has been constrained. Um, and so part of the, the mechanism through which the Fed policy actually works is by bringing demand into better balance with supply. And I think that's what we're seeing in some of the data points right now, but certainly hasn't slowed enough, A, to call it a recession, and B, to even see that moderation in demand showing through yet to a moderation and a cooling off of price increases and inflation. And that's what we're, we're engineering here in terms of our policy. That's the mechanism through which it's going to be affecting inflation. Right. We've, we've got a related question uh, from a member of the audience, which uh, may be as a critique of the media as, as much as anything else. Let's take a look at that. Uh, this comes from uh, Sam Gorovitz 
from New York, and he asks, why so much focus on the label recession as if it's a use, as if it's useful to force a yes or no decision onto a situation that's far more complex and nuanced than that? Well, I agree. I mean, we're in a challenging um, environment. A lot of, you know, I'm an economist, so a lot of times we don't talk about recession per se. It's are we growing below or above trend? And, you know, my forecast for this year is that we'll be growing below trend, but that's necessary in order to get price increases, inflation under control. We haven't seen inflation cool at all. In fact, you know, the monthly reports show that in, in inflation hasn't even stabilized yet at a very high rate. So again, you know, part of the mechanism that we're trying to, to, to do with our policy tools is to bring that inflation under control. We're committed to doing that. And that's very important. That's a foundational piece of a healthy economy. We have to get inflation under control. And that's what we're about, what we've been about um, this year and will continue to be about um, until we get inflation under control. So whether whether we are or aren't in a recession, uh, the the current moment, uh, the current economy is is really uh, quite distinctive. Uh, we've got uh, a global pandemic, war in Europe, commodity price shocks, uh, supply chain disruptions, all at the same time. Uh, and and a lot of very smart people, uh, including at the Fed, have been wrong about the economy at various points over the past year or two. And so I wonder, as an economist, as you try to look look through all this, uh, whether the, you still trust the same models, indicators, economic relationships that you would have looked uh, to for guidance before the pandemic, or has it just become much more difficult uh, to fathom exactly what's happening uh, and to predict where we're going? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as you know, our models are built on historical relationships in the data. And you're exactly right. This is in many ways unprecedented. But I still want to use the models because it does give us guidance about, you know, taking a whole lot of indicators and putting them through the models give you some insights. But you have to take the models and even in the best of times, you know, our models are, you know, we are predictive, but we know there's error bands around the models. And that's part of the work of the Fed is one of the reasons that we spe spend a lot of time talking to uh, business contacts, labor market contacts, community development uh, people in our districts is really to get that really deep textured anecdotal information that can help us evaluate where the economy is and where it's going. A lot of times the anecdotal information will be disparate, but it'll point to things before it'll show up in official statistics. So in an economy like this, which is in many ways unprecedented, it is really important to augment our data and our models with other information. And we've been doing that throughout the pandemic at every reserve bank and at the Board of Governors, looking at a lot of new and different information at the Cleveland Fed, we have an inflation research center, um, and you know they've been doing um, you know surveys to actually touch base with consumers throughout um, this whole pandemic, so we could get some information on what the behavioral, you know, 
actions they're taking. Were they staying home and not spending, not going out because of fear of the virus? Were they, you know, starting to come back when the economy opened? Right now, of course, we're very interested in inflation and inflation expectations on how that's affecting uh, consumer behavior. So again, we have to augment our usual tools and our usual models because of the unprecedented nature of, of this um, economy at this time. But I think that that kind of process will serve us well into the future as well. It's always good to have more information and to, and to have that inform your view. Well, and, and certainly the, the GDP data that we make uh, a great deal of uh, in the press comes out every uh, every quarter. Um, it helps shape, I think, plays a, a major role in shaping public perceptions of the economy's health. But we have an audience question now about its usefulness uh, as, as a tool. And this comes from uh, Randall Olson uh, in Oregon, who asks, what are your thoughts regarding using GDP to measure the economy? Well, it is a measure of activity. I mean, it has a very, you know, specific purpose. Um, you know, we like to look at it in terms of adjusted for inflation because, you know, you can have a high GDP level that's high because in nominal terms, but not high in terms of real terms. And it gives you a benchmark against which you can sort of evaluate whether you're growing at, you know, your estimated trend growth or whether you're growing below trends. So are you living up to your potential? So as a measure of activity, I think it's a very useful summary measure. Um, as you know, it's quarterly, so it's not as timely. There are you know, other measures that come in more timely that go into the GDP measures. You know, We'll get retail sales data um, that'll tell us a lot about consumption spending, and we get other monthly indicators and even weekly indicators that then go in. But as a measure of activity, I think it's a good measure. As a measure of other aspects that are important for, for people, I'm not, you know, we wouldn't use it to necessarily measure well-being, but as a measure of activity and whether the economy is living up to the potential growth it can it could support, I think it's a useful measure, yes. There does seem to be a, a, a mismatch though between, or potential mismatch, between the GDP data, which shows an economy that's shrinking, and labor market data that shows we've added two and a half million new jobs since the beginning of the year, how could all these additional workers end up producing less stuff? Uh, is it unusual to have this sort of disconnect between GDP and labor market? And and what do you what do you make of it? Yeah, it is unusual. It's not unprecedented. We've seen you know, slower growth and, you know, maybe turn a little bit negative. I mean, if you look at the the first quarter negative number in GDP, that was really driven by the external sector inventories and then net exports. If you looked at consumption spending, that was that was still very healthy. So again, that wasn't quite a puzzle. The second quarter, we are starting to see a slowdown in domestic spending, investment, and of course the housing sector which is very much related to the interest rate changes we've been um, putting in place. And even personal consumption was weaker than uh, what we think is being the trend in personal consumption growth. But that, that slowdown, you, usually you do see it part and parcel with a weakening in the labor market, but so far we've not seen that. The labor market remains very strong. But as you know, and as you pointed out, 
a lot of what's happened in this economy is being driven by the pandemic and then the pandemic response. And so we are in a very unusual uh, time and in so many ways um, challenging to sort of read through those data. But so far, the, the, the uh, moderation in demand has not shown through into a real moderation on the labor markets. People are, firms are still seeking more workers than there are unemployed. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see if we're gonna see some moderation there. I, I would say that we could very well see some moderation on the employment side in terms of demand for employment without seeing that much of an increase in unemployment. So labor markets can stay healthy as we go through this, but we need to wait and see how things will evolve. Let's move on to inflation, uh, since rising prices are really uh, topic number one for for most of our uh, most members of our audience. Uh, inflation's a global problem. The U.S. isn't alone in having uh, historically high rates uh, of price increases. Uh, but I wonder what your view is of the argument that you hear from some domestic critics of the administration that the president's last round of fiscal stimulus. Uh, the American Rescue Plan, did make our inflation problem worse, if only at the margins. Do they have a point? Well, I mean, as you point out, right, the, there's an imbalance between the demand side of the economy and the supply side, right? We know that supply is constrained. We hear from our firms still that there are very much disruptions still in the supply chain, in some places getting a little better, but in other places um, still still very uh, much in place and firms have had to deal with that. Demand was boosted during the pandemic by both monetary policy and by fiscal policy. And I think that was appropriate. I think people forget at the depth of the, of the uh, pandemic, how uncertain everything was and how we didn't really know what was going to be happening going forward. And now the, the, the job is, is to really get demand, the demand side of the economy into better balance with the supply side. The Fed has tools to do that. We have our interest rate policy and that's what we've been embarking on. Um, and we have more work to do because we've not seen that turn um, in inflation. What we wanna do is see it on a sustainable downward path towards our longer run goal of 2%. And we have not seen that, we have more work to do. As you say, the the Fed uh, has been engaged in raising interest rates since March. More to come. We have a, an audience question, though, that uh, looks ahead to when we might uh, start to see a turn. Uh, and this comes from uh, Lee Haberman in Canada. He asks, what are the data points uh, or indicators upon which the Fed uh, will rely to determine when the tightening cycle has accomplished its goal of returning inflation to acceptable levels. What do you look for? Right, so I wanna see very compelling evidence first that the monthly changes, month to month changes are moving down, right? And then I wanna see, make sure that I'm seeing that on a sustainable downward path. You know, it's the risk management approach to this is, you wouldn't want to conclude um, too quickly that inflation is on a downward path because of how high it is and how much risk there is that if it remains high, it could become embedded in the economy. And that's what we're trying to make sure will not happen with our policy. So 
you know, I'm going to be looking at, uh, and I want to see it broadly across many inflation measures, not just one, not just two, even though our goal is in terms of PCE or personal consumption expenditure inflation, which is our, our preferred measure at the Fed, there are a number of other indicators that I'll want to see. Um, so that's on the, on the inflation side. Gauging whether we're seeing the moderation on the demand side, right? Of course, we're going to be wanting to look at labor markets. We have a dual mandate. Um, we're very focused on making sure that we bring inflation down because that is the bedrock of making sure that we'll, we'll have sustainable, healthy labor markets over the median and longer run. If we don't get back to price stability, you won't have a strong economy and the economy won't be able to maintain good and healthy labor markets. So again, this is really about doing what we can with our tools. We look at a number of monthly statistics to gauge uh, and weekly statistics and that anecdotal evidence to, to really gauge where we are on that journey and where the transition of the economy towards price stability is. And we're, we're going to continue to do that um, as we go through this process. Now, uh, forgive me, my next question may sound like it's come from the Department of Wishful Thinking, but I'd like to ask you about a couple of uh, intriguing hints that suggest that maybe, just maybe, uh, inflation could be starting to ebb. Uh, on Monday, we got the ISM manufacturing data release, which showed that the prices the factories were paying for their inputs uh, had fallen quite significantly from the month before. And there was also an, an anecdotal, anecdotal sign of, of some progress uh, in a tweet from Elon Musk. And he wrote, uh, quote, inflation might be trending down, more Tesla commodity prices are trending down than up. What do you make of both of those uh, data points? Yeah, I mean, I, I would characterize it. If you squint, you can sort of maybe see some start of some of those prices coming down. Commodity prices, we've seen that. And in our district, we get reports from a lot of our firms also saying there are pockets of, you know, some of the commodity prices coming down, which is good. Um, but again, there's other parts of the, the inflation report that aren't good. If you look at um, shelter prices, you know, rent, rents are up. And typically on the supply side of the economy, the supply prices, they will be more persistent. Right, so that's going to feed through, and that'll probably keep inflation up. So again, we might see goods inflation and commodities inflation come down, but at the same time, see the the um, services side. I said supply side. I meant services side of the economy, right? Stay up, and that's what we got to keep watching for. So, and that's when I say compelling evidence. It can't just be a one month you know, oil prices went down in July, that'll feed through to the July inflation report, but there's a lot of risk that oil prices will go up in the fall. It's gotta be sort of a sustained, you know, several months of evidence that inflation has first peaked. We haven't even seen that yet, and then is, is moving down. So I welcome sort of some moderation in some of these pockets, but again, I think it would be inappropriate to, to uh, and actually not a good idea to, to cry victory too early um, and then allow this inflation, which has been stubborn and unacceptably high, continue on without taking the action we need to put it on that downward sustainable path to 
And so what do you make of the financial markets uh, reaction to what the Fed's been doing? As you know, there are a couple of metrics, the 10-year uh, break-even, the five-year, five-year forward, that, that show that the, the markets or investors in, in aggregate uh, seem to think you're, you're winning the battle. And their expectation of future inflation is down now to about 2.5%, uh, not all that far from the Fed's goal, although still a, a bit elevated. Uh, do the markets just have it wrong? Are they misunderstanding uh, what you're about, or do they see something that, that the Fed doesn't? Well, they look at the same data that we look at, and I'm sure they're coming up with their forecasts. I just haven't seen anything that would suggest that we've seen inflation even level off yet, let alone come down on that you know, downward path. So, I mean, there's a mix of going on in the market in terms of also whether they think growth will slow more um, as well. And that's also going into those market expectations. But, you know, in terms of what I look at and what I'm viewing, you know, it's really important that inflation expectations stay well contained. So I welcome the fact that at least the tips market and those inflation index uh, protected uh, securities are showing that inflation compensation has moved down. It was elevated. Um, so that's a good thing that helps make the, the, the uh, battle against inflation a bit easier. But again, right, we need to see really compelling evidence that inflation is moving down. And my view is that we haven't seen that yet. I'd like to get your thoughts also on some new research uh, out that from authors, including the former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, suggesting that the so-called natural rate of unemployment, uh, the, the level of joblessness that's consistent with price stability, has gone up since the pre-pandemic era, uh, up to something like 4.9% uh, from 3.6% before. Does that suggest that we should expect uh, unemployment to, to get up to 5 percent, maybe maybe a bit more than 5 percent before inflation is truly brought under control? Well, that's a deep question in the sense of, right, that's suggesting the mechanism through which this is going to work is through a Phillips curve relationship between inflation and unemployment. And as you probably some of your listeners know, right, the, the Phillips curve has been really flat. So that mechanism may not be the mechanism through which this will work. You know, there are other is estimates that suggest that the natural rate of employment, ha unemployment have, hasn't moved up because there, the, there was a good theory that why during the pandemic it could have gone up, and that was about matching efficiency. Was it harder for people to find jobs? Was it taking longer to find jobs? That doesn't seem to be characterizing this labor market. Um, at this point, I think that's not what's characterizing this. I think it's just the economy was had very, very strong demand, um, and work, you know, uh, employers wanted more workers than were available, and that's what's still true in the data that we're seeing. I do think that we'll see some increase in unemployment as we go through this cycle um, because, again, labor demand is outstripping labor supply, and we, we might see some of those monthly numbers adjust. Um, and that, But we need to have that moderation happen in order to make sure we get back to a healthy economy in terms of price stability that's necessary for that 
healthy labor market sustained over time. And so again, the transition every month, we could see some different, different data. Um, I think we have a narrow path to actually engineer this so that we don't see a strong increase in unemployment, but we'll have to see. We have to see how this evolves. And we ha that's why the watching of the data and watching of what's happening in the economy is gonna be very, very important as we go through this. The economy is transitioning. Um, some of what we're seeing is part of that transition, but the moderation we've seen in some of the numbers on inactivity have not yet shown through to any kind of moderation on the inflation side. And the inflation is hurting a lot of people. So again, this isn't really a choice now between labor versus prices. This really is a necessary, if we're gonna have a strong labor market going forward and a healthy labor market going forward, we're gonna need to get price stability and this is the way we're gonna do it. So I don't really see a trade-off here at all. I think this is just a necessary thing that we have to do in order to get back to price stability. And how about a, a, a risk that the World Bank, among others, uh, has warned of, and that's stagflation, uh, which you and I remember from the 1970s. All, all of our audience may not understand the term, which uh, describes a period with very anemic, disappointing growth and yet continuing high rates of inflation. Does the recent data that you've seen coming in make you any more or less concerned about that risk? Well, we're going to see some slower growth because, as I said, right, we're going to need to see that. And growth is going to need to be below trend um, before we get to back to price stability. So in that sense, yeah, we're going to see some high inflation numbers coupled with some slow growth numbers. I don't consider that stagflation because I think of stagflation as being something that lingers on. I think of this as being the transition path back to price stability. So I think of it differently. But it's also true that it is going to take some time for inflation to come down. This is not going to come down quickly. It's because inflation has been affected by so many things going on outside of monetary policy. Um, as you know, the, the war in Ukraine um, affected commodity markets and food prices and energy markets. Um, and, you know, that's going to have, a, you know, an effect that may linger for longer. The Fed, right, we're raising our interest rates. That takes a while to work through the economy. So it will take a while to get inflation back to 2%. But what we can do is use our tools to get it on that sustainable downward path. And so that's what I'm looking for is I need to see that happening. Um, and so far, we haven't seen that. We might That might mean that growth will be slow. I mean, my forecast is, is for below trend growth this year um, and into probably next year um, before it then picks back up. And I wouldn't consider that a bad outcome. I would consider that what's necessary to get this back to um, a, a price stability with healthy labor markets. I want to ask you a final question about institutional credibility. Uh, this is an era, as you know, uh, where many Americans uh, have lost faith in the quote unquote elites and societal institutions across the board. Certainly the press, politicians, the Supreme Court, big business, nobody trusts anything anymore. Uh, I wonder how you assess the Fed's credibility after the last year or so we've gone through where top officials were repeatedly uh, reassuring Americans 
that the price increases we were experiencing last year would be transitory, that they'd be really a passing phenomenon. That turned out not to be the case. We've now got the worst inflation in, in 40 years, perhaps for understandable reasons. But I wonder what, what you think about the Fed's credibility in this moment and whether that's something you worry about. Well, we certainly worry about our credibility because, as you know, it's very important for um, the economy that they believe and understand that the Fed will use its tools to get inflation under control. We are very much committed to that. Um, I think you pointed out earlier that the financial markets seem to, to believe that. So in terms of that, maybe we have some credibility. But the American people are also incredibly important that they understand why we're doing what we do, why we're doing the policy actions that we're taking right now, and that they believe that we will get inflation under control. I think in my interactions that I've had in the district, um, the people do believe that we're on the right path here. They understand what we're doing. But partly why I um, you know, very much like being invited on shows like yours is so that we can explain what we're doing, why we're doing it, the rationale for our decisions. But it is a challenging environment, and we are reading, you know, the data as best we can. And when we do see that, you know, we pivoted, I think, last year. Um, and, you know, that's all we can hope to do is that continue to be very much reading the information, doing the best we can with it, and being willing to pivot when the evidence suggests it's time to, to, to move to move off what we, we said. And you've seen that, I think, through this cycle as we've started to raise interest rates. You know, we've tried to be as, as transparent as we can about our thinking, but we haven't hesitated to move in a different direction if the data and the evidence supports it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to use our best to our ability to read what where the economy is and where it's going and to set appropriate monetary policy. And that's my commitment is that I'll continue to do that um, as we go through this. Great. Well, unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to leave it there because we are just about out of time. Uh, Loretta Mester, thanks very much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.